You are listening to The Black Landscape with Andrea Spearman, where Black excellence is always trending. Welcome back. I'm your host, Andrea Spearman, and this is The Black Landscape, where we engage with emerging and established Black leaders here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am a light-skinned Black woman with my dark brown curly hair currently in two-strand twists up in two space buns. Today, I'm wearing my black and brown glasses and a dark red knitted sweater. Very cozy. (laughs) Today, we are here with Marissa McGee, educator and author. Hey, Marissa. Hi, how are you? Good. Welcome, welcome. Please describe yourself to our listeners. Okay, so describing myself, I am a proud Black woman. In terms of complexion, I would say I'm somewhere between caramel and cinnamon, somewhere in there. Today, I have on a green shirt, an olive green shirt to be exact, that says Free the Curls. My 4C hair is in a bun today because I woke up and I was like, you know what? I rolled out of bed and went straight to the couch. Um, But I did (laughs) throw on a little lip for, you know, a little razzle dazzle. So I have on a nice, bright pink lipstick this morning. Come on, razzle dazzle. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So let's jump right in. Marissa, as a Baydestrian, a Bay native, how did you get over to Washington, D.C., where you kind of started this education journey? Yeah, you know, so I went to, I was born and raised here. So grew up in Union City, went to school in East Palo Alto. So I claimed both. And then I went to Stanford for undergrad and grad school. And when I was Mm. in undergrad, I did an exchange program at Howard for a semester, and I fell in love with D.C., just all of the melanin. Yes. Um, It was still Chocolate City at the time. Now, not as chocolate, but that's okay. So after grad school, I was like, you know what? I'm going to move out here for a couple of years just to see what happened. Two years turned into almost 10. and Oh. Oh, my. up in D.C. (laughs) (laughs) Got caught up in the chocolate. I did. I, did. <laughs> I was in love with the cocoa. That's what it was. I love it. <laughs> so what was that experience like that made you want to stay that long period of time? I've met some amazing people. And like when I moved out there, I didn't know anyone. So I definitely just took a chance. I mean, I knew some people who I'd met at Howard years before, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. See what happens. And Again, just the city was so vibrant. There was always something to do. I met some great friends through teaching, just everything. Always something to do, a good brunch or a good day party. The dating scene was nice in D.C. I wish I could bring that to the Bay Area. Um, And if you're looking out there. (laughs) Don't even don't even start. (laughs) We're not even going to go there in this podcast. (laughs) Listen. So I think it was just like the culture and the vibe of DC, and that's what made me stay out there. I was not a fan of the snow, so that was one thing that ended up, you know, getting me back to the bay. But yeah, yeah. And in school, did you study specifically for like elementary education? Yeah. So my undergrad was in sociology, and I ended up there just because I loved the classes that I was taking. And when it was time to declare a major, I was like, oh, well, I have a bunch of classes over here. So that's what I'm going to do. So I had a focus on social stratification and inequality, which is 
you know, people just like to come up with long names for things. <laughs> um, and then in grad school, I did a teacher education program specifically focused on elementary education. And I come from a family of educators. Like my mom was a teacher for decades. I won't say how many. Um, my brother is in <laughs> education. So like we are just educators over here. A family that believes in knowledge and power. Yes. 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 And what was it like teaching in like the D.C. school system? Because it was what grades? Um, I taught kinder first and second. Oh, the babies. The babies who, you know, I love them. They will give you a run for your money some days. I was like, oh, y'all have a lot of energy. It's like, you know, anger outnumbered because it's 25 of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> All but these tiny I, humans. Yes. I'm like, oh, but I miss them. Um, I got a text from one of my students who is now a junior in college. And that's wild. Um, but I think it was amazing, like, especially going to school out here. I knew that I wanted to teach in an area that was similar to EPA. So when I went to D.C., I was looking for communities like that. So the schools where I taught, it was like 95 percent of the students identified as black. <clears throat> so that was very important to me since I couldn't be in my own community. I wanted a community that was similar. It was amazing. It definitely, of course, anything has challenges, but it was also very rewarding. And I remember in my classroom, I had like a Stanford poster. And then right above it, I had a sign that said, your zip code doesn't determine your future. And that was a message that I wanted to impart on my kids because I could remember when I was growing up, if I would travel outside of EPA, people would say, oh, that's the murder capital. And it's like, it's so um, much more than that. <laughs> like, exactly. Don't do me right now. Like, it's Don't do so that. Right. Um, so I can remember people having like preconceived notions about me and what I could possibly achieve based on my zip code. And they didn't recognize like the richness and the just celebrate all that EPA was. So and is now. Um, so I wanted definitely for my students to know like, be proud of where you're from and don't let people who are outside of this community put limitations on you just because of your zip code. So. Mm -hmm. I know I can be <laughs> what I want to be. <laughs> Listen, we're about to make a playlist over here in a second. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So yes, it's like, so you were thriving there in DC. What was the, impetus for coming back to the Bay? It was a few things. So one, the weather was definitely a factor. I will not lie. <laughs> Said that snow, ain't it? <laughs> I was like, this is not for me, this California. You know, I think the other thing is, it was like, as I'm getting older, you also realize that your family members are getting older. So I wanted to be closer to them. And then I had a friend who was like, oh, move back to the Bay. We can live together. It'll be so much fun. So I did that. It was a lot of fun. She ended up moving to L.A. a few years later. Now she's trying to get me to come out there. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it. <laughs> she said, you look like, not again, sis. <laughs> like, fool me once. Uh, <laughs> so it was that. And then also at the time I was leaving the classroom just because, unfortunately, teachers, I think, have one of the hardest jobs, like, in the world. And unfortunately, a lot of times they're not able to do the job of like teaching because there are so many things competing. So it was just hard to like 
deal with that and not being able to do things for my kids that were developmentally appropriate while dealing with like the internal politics of what it looks like to be in a school. So I was tired. I was fatigued. And I was like, you know what? I'm reclaiming my time. (laughs) And I decided to take, I think I took like a year off. And so I traveled. I started with like a solo trip through Europe. I ended up going to Carnival in Trinidad that year, which was amazing. Oh, Lord, take me back. (laughs) So it was, there were just like so many things. And I was like, okay, now is the time to come Mm -hmm. back. You was feeling like you could have been a teacher at elementary. Listen, I was like, like, oh, I have some storylines. I'm ready. Like, get me in that room. <laughs> like, Quinta, call us. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and that's, you know, every time I hear about teachers, I, I'm always at a at a sympathetic heart because I'm like, I'm, I've seen it firsthand, although I had a Catholic school mm-hmm. education from kindergarten to eighth grade. I only saw black te- I only had black teachers once I got to kind of the middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and and then going to a public high school, seeing the dynamic difference in educational background of my peers. It I'm like, teachers, bless y'all. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bless y'all for because teachers, kids be wildin', parents mm-hmm. be wildin', administrators be wildin'. <laughs> like, where is the joy? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's and it's you know, I truly sympathize with you all, but also I try to give back in any way that I can when I, you know, talk to my friends who are teachers and I'm like, how can we give back? How can mm-hmm. I donate some money for supplies or for, you know, helping poster your classroom or decorate the classroom because I know that was a big thing for a lot of teachers to really get into. Mm-hmm. That is a thing. Or it's like buy pencils or books, like just basic things <laughs> that should be provided. So yes, hats off to you because we need more people who are just like, how can I help? What can I do? What do you need? So I also follow this uh, YouTube series <laughs> that's teachers talking about, you know, their experiences and listening to that as well. I'm like, we got to do better. We do. We do. Uh, for the teachers and for the students, like we all just we need to do better, step it up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. But you know, when you got to make a move, you got to make a move. Exactly. Right now, we're going to take a short break to catch up on previous episodes of The Black Landscape. Download on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, and Google Podcasts. When we come back, we will hear more from Marissa McGee. We are back with Marissa McGee. So Marissa, before we took a break, you had left the cold, 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 cold of the East Coast (laughs) and came on back to Cali. And now you're back, back in education, but in a different role now. What is anti-bias educator? Yes. So anti-bias, right? So my role right now, I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is my second year in the role, which we all know, I guess it's going to my third year. It's 2023 now. 
which I keep having to remind myself of. So we all know what was happening a couple of years ago in the world. And apparently that's when racism started. I, I don't know. <laughs> My sarcasm right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So basically my role just entails helping people get tools so that they can, you know, we can be aware of our bias and find ways to disrupt it when it's showing up. And so that can be thinking about in the classroom when teachers are interacting with students, when staff members are interacting with colleagues or just how we're showing up in the wider community. So that's my role right now. Um, Before that, I was an instructional coach in Oakland, and I like to say it was like where Steve Kerr meets Bill Nye. So I'm trying to come up with a creative way to say that for DEI coordinator because it's hard to like put into words sometimes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how can we get the two together? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. So, um, but yeah, basically just when I'm describing myself as an anti-bias educator, it's just around building awareness and finding ways to disrupt biases when they're showing up. And hopefully all of that can be in service of eventually dismantling the many inequities that exist in education because we know they're there. Like, let's call a spade a spade Mm -hmm. and do what we can to disrupt it. So. Has this work influenced your children's book, Free the Curls? Because I know there's a story there. Talk to me. There is a story there. Lord. Um, so I was inspired to write Free the Curls when I went one day. I was, you know, washing my hair, Lord. But I needed some shampoo. So I was like, oh, let me run to the store really quickly. And when I get to the store, all of the products that I needed were locked in a case. And Mm. so I had to wait for someone to come over and unlock it. And of course, she's sitting there like I can only take out one product at a time. Um, Yes. (laughs) I'm like, oh, getting upset as I think about it. Wait, she closed the case and had to unlocked it every single time? She wouldn't close it, but she would be like, okay, which one do you want? And hand me that one and then put it back. If I'm like, I want to read the labels or something. So it's literally one at a time. Lord have mercy. This is really efficient. So when I asked like why the black hair care products were locked up, she said they weren't products for your people. I'm like, oh, okay, your people, that's what we're doing. And I think this was 2019 at the time. So then I was like, okay, bump wash day. I went to several other stores and I noticed the same thing in those other stores. Mm. And I was talking to a manager And a black woman came out with her child and she was like, yeah, we saw the same thing. So I'm like, okay, if I'm having this reaction at my big age, like how is this impacting this child? And so that's when I was inspired to do something. So I started writing. I would get upset thinking about it. So it took me a minute to write it because I was like, you know what? I need to do my own Mm self-regulation. So I did other things like posted on social media, wrote blog posts, and the store did contact me. I know that one store has since unlocked the products. I haven't been back to all of them yet because like one was in D.C. as well. But yeah, all of that to say, that's what inspired me to write this story. And it's been so, it was a lot of work, first of all, but (laughs) it's been so rewarding, especially going around reading to students like someone donated 
copies recently and he wanted them to go to black girls in Oakland. So I got to visit a school and like, that was my first time, I think, reading to a group of just black girls, of all black girls. And yes. And as you say that, that's so funny because I was reading, uh, there was one page in the story where, spoiler alert, um, the products get unlocked. And <laughs> as I was reading that, this third grade girl was like, yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this just gave me so much life right now. Like, Yes, baby sis, come on. Yes, I was like, oh. And she also, like, as I was reading one part of the story, she was like, that's racist. I'm like, let's talk about it. So just having those conversations with kids um, has been really amazing because it's like people oftentimes think racism and discrimination are adult issues, but they impact kids and kids are aware. Like they notice things, mm-hmm. you know, enough credit. So it's just been amazing having these conversations and asking like, what would you do if you see something like this? And really, hopefully it's encouraging them to be change makers. Like that's my goal with this book. Yes. Um, so it's been, yeah, really rewarding. I wish that could be figure out a way to like parlay that into my daily job. I haven't figured that part out yet, though. <laughs> That's all right. There's always time and space to to take a teachable moment. All right. And, and parlay it into a book, an education course, the melding of the two, a talk space with young black women. Yes. And for you, what is a teachable moment? So (laughs) I like to, so I have a blog called Marissa's Teachable Moments that I've been neglecting a bit recently, but I'm getting back into it. That's one of my goals for the new year. So I like to say that my life is filled with teachable moments. And then there are some that are merely moments where it's like, you know what? I'm not learning anything from this right now. Or I'm just <laughs> refusing to because I don't feel like, you know, facing this lesson <laughs> that I know is embedded in here. Um, but really for me, it's just like everyday moments where mm-hmm. you're gathering some piece of information or a lesson from those moments. So I like to think that there are a lot of teachable moments. If we, you know, just take the time to unpack them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as you said, sometimes the moments lessons won't hit you until a little bit later. And you're like, you know what? I should have paid attention to that earlier. Listen. That was the moment and I missed it. It came back to get me. It listen. Oh, we said we're not talking about dating right now, right? Okay. Oh, oops. <laughs> How did I wander over there? Come back. I had a few of those recently. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-mm. Uh-uh. <laughs> but yes, with the with the Free the Curls book, where's the book available? Um, the book is available on my website, freethecurlsftc.com. Um, people ask me what FTC stands for. It might mean free the curls. It might mean for the culture, whatever you would like it to mean. Um, yeah. So yes, freethecurlsftc.com. So I am a party of one you know that mean i do like it because it means people can request that i sign the books specifically to certain people so it's nice to add that personal touch but yes order the book for yourself order it for your co-workers your friend you name it and where else can we find free the curls and marissa's teachable moments so you can follow me on instagram my uh free the curls ftc as well and i 
often post if I'm if I'll be out and about. So like sometimes I visit libraries to do readings or if there are local events and festivals. Yeah, you can catch me outside sometimes, depending on the day. <laughs> I think the next event I'm doing is like a book festival in May. That's in Berkeley. So it's the Bay Area Book Festival, I think it's in Berkeley. Yes, Bay Area Book Festival, a time-honored festival here in the Bay Area. I am very much a reader of books and essays and words and thoughts and reflections. And I'm excited to add this book to my list for the littles. And I definitely plan on, you know, getting a copy so I can share with the, you know, lovely little young lady that I know and her parents. Yes, I'm here for that. Thank you. So other than because I know Free the Curls will be one of your favorites once you read it. (laughs) Of course. What's one of your favorite children's books? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. I'll do this shout out. Most recently, I purchased a book from the melanin gang and it's the abcs of melanin of blackness right yes (laughs) and it was so great to see them at a recent black entrepreneurs marketplace and i saw the book and i said yes give me one didn't ask the price (laughs) just give me one Okay, I think I have that on my bookshelf. I'm looking over there. My eyesight isn't what it used to be. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I gifted it to a friend of mine who had a baby, and the and my little baby girl. She's coming up. On, is she a year old now? Anyway, but they got it in the mail. They they Facetime me. They're like, Andrea, look, she's enjoying the book. She, we just read it to her. She's so excited. I said, oh. Yes, yes. Education starts early. Reading, yes. love of reading, starts early. Yes. Is there a second book in the works? Oof. <laughs> right now, no. I'm enjoying all that's coming with this one. But people always ask me that, including kids. And they're like, oh, you should write about this. So eventually there will be a second one. I'm saying it right now. You heard it here first. Speak it into the atmosphere. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Marissa. It's been wonderful getting to know you better. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So exciting to go get the book. Again, that's Free the Curls at freethecurlsftc.com. Yes. Dot com. So everyone, I want to see you go get the book. Once you get it, take a picture of you and your book. Tag Marissa. Tag, tag the Black Landscape. Show us how you are supporting Black authors and the Black community here in the Bay Area. Yes, please. And thank you. (laughs) Well, thank all of you out there for listening and supporting another season. This has been another episode of The Black Landscape, where Black excellence is always trending. Mm -hmm.